Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, September 4th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, Transformed Living, will be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens out of Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. The world will know we're followers of Christ by the love we have for one another. If we were to ask your, your husband, your wife, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, hey, give me one word that describes you, what would they say? Would they be shocked to find out that you're a believer? Like, are you actively trying to help your spouse follow Christ better? Or just saying, nah, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. They are who they are. They'll never change. That's not love. Do we wait with our love or do we hurry in our love? Do we procrastinate or do we pursue one another? Do we only love those who are in our inner circle or do we love those outside the bubble, the outsiders? That's what I want our church to be known for. I want our church to be known for love. That's my hope, that's my prayer, that people would see our church and say, man, that church is defined by their love. We're going to be in Romans 12. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21, if you want to turn there. Uh, but last week, of course, as we even just heard, Thomas uh, talked about Christians being revealed or tr- Christians, disciples of Christ, being known by our love. And it brings about this picture for me that um, this, what I'm simply just calling a hidden pillar. And the hidden pillar of love is humility. And so today, as we as we jump into this, right, we, we recognize that we live in a world where notoriety, where power, where success, these are the things that are valued in our society. Um, I know um, I myself don't like to look at myself through the impeccable mirror of humility. I don't think any of us want to stand in the mirror and look at the fact that we are probably still filled with great pride, uh, at times arrogance. At times, um, we would find it difficult. I find it very difficult to stand before you today and discuss the subject of humility, knowing what is in my heart and what God is still continuing to grow me with. Um, It reminds me of how we sometimes approach life And similar, right, we see in Mark 9, uh, going back to that, I'll put it up on the screen, but in Mark 9, uh, the disciples, as they're walking with Jesus, right, they're having this ongoing conversation of who's going to be the greatest. And uh, it's really, it's fascinating to me that you're walking with the God incarnate and you're asking each other which will be the greatest. He says to them, in 9, 33 through 37, it says, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? And of course, look at what they do in 34, but they kept silent for, uh, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Man, the, the arrogance within this entire conversation. And then he sat down and he called the 12 and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. I love how Pastor Bob said a couple weeks ago, all of us want to be a servant leader until you're treated like a servant. 
And then Jesus does this great example. He takes a child and he puts him in their midst and and taking him into his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So much of my life is motivated, right, out of love, fear, and reward. I think all of us are. And we take this love, fear, and reward and we confuse it with worldly love, with worldly fear, and even with worldly rewards. We're not to be of this world. We are to be not to conform to this world as we've already seen in Romans 12. But we're to be transformed through the renewing of our mind. We're to be radically different like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, to be metamorphized into this new creation where our love is compelled by his love, where our reward is him in eternity, where our fear of our life is out of reverence and awe of how powerful, how holy, and how wonderful this God is. But there's this aspect in our life in this fallen world. This one uh, theologian from the past, Dennis Kinlaw, said this. He said, Satan disguises submission to himself under the ruse of personal autonomy. He makes you think that it's all about you. That the day at hand is all about me. He quotes here, he says, he, Satan, never asks us to become his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve in the garden, I want to be your master. You see, the shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self, where we make ourself our own God. And instead of his will, self-interest is what now rules and what reigns. And that is, is the very essence of sin in a fallen world. As sinfully and as culturally as we get consumed, when we're pursuing a life that doesn't look like this, when we're pursuing a transformed life, when we're pursuing that, individuals themselves become more typically motivated by self-interest, by self-indulgence, and a false sense of self-sufficiency. We tend to pursue our selfish ambition for the purpose of either self-glorification, it's all about me, or our reputation through self-salvation. I'm a good person. My good outweighs my bad. We are more concerned about our reputation, about people's respect of us, about our perceived success or our approval by mankind than we are about the glory of God. We are oftentimes compelled and motivated from our shame, not compelled by the glory of him. To be transformed in life is a pursuit of serving others and serving others compelled by the glory of him. But pride seems to keep us from this pursuit of holiness. You see, when we look at God's view of pride, when we look at that view of pride, Proverbs 16, five comes to mind. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. 
Think about that. He's defining the very enemies of God and he's defining the enemies of you and me. Those who are arrogant in heart are an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You see, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and the position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon God. This sinful person that I'm describing here today is me. This is the woodshed for the last few weeks. To understand that not everything in my life is compelled as we learned in Romans 12. In Romans 12, I go back to the very beginning. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. Am I compelled by the mercies of God? Is this what causes me to get up every morning because of God's mercy upon me? I'm going to live this day to the glory of him. Sadly, that is not a 24-7 occupation. In verse three, he told us, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, for by the grace given to me, am I compelled by his grace? I struggle with this. I feel like I have rights. And as Thomas covered last week, let love be genuine. Man, this is a standard that compels. Because what Paul says here is he says, let let agape, let agape be genuine. If he meant it to be your kind of love, he would have said agapeo, that you would imitate God's love. But he's saying here, let agape be genuine. Let the God love be genuine. Let that be, let that standard be the very thing that compels you. It compels you. When you look at the standard of God's love, it will compel you to abhor what is evil, to hold fast that which is good. Christ came in his gospel and he fulfilled the law, but then he calls for us to obey. You see, the law is not kept by man's own power. I cannot obey God by my power. But only can I be compelled through his mercies, compelled by his grace, compelled by his love. The law is not kept by man's power, but solely through Christ who pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts. To fulfill the law is to do its works with pleasure and love. Not compelled by my fear that people won't respect me or that people will think ill repute of my reputation or that I will somehow gain more approval because look at Jeff, he's holy. But to be compelled by pleasure and love. I think about this verse every time I drive through Chick-fil-A, right? Every time someone sits there and says to you, I say, hey, thank you, it's my pleasure. Right, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, loved this concept of that we should be compelled by pleasure. It isn't about the glory of Chick-fil-A. It's not about the glory of the child or the kid that is working behind that, behind that microphone. It's not about any of those things. It's about working to the pleasure of the glory of Jesus Christ. 
Just knowing what God requires of us is not enough. That is not what compels you into his presence. Obeying him because we're supposed to is not enough. To do obedience, to do his works, has to come from a compulsion of pleasure and love through the hidden pillar of humility. We look at it this way in Psalm 40, verse eight. Listen, listen to what the, what the psalmist says. I delight, I have pleasure, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is written within my heart. Oh, to be compelled by the delight of God. Not because I'm earning something. Not because I'm loving but because he first loved me. Thomas ended last week with the word hospitality in verse 13. And he, and he showed us that this uh, uh, philoxenia, right, this, this mixing of two words where it's the aspect of brotherly love, uh, but xenia, right, is where we get xenophobe. It's where we have a fear or a phobia of, of outsiders and strangers. But what Paul's saying here is that you have to entertain strangers with brotherly love. Outsiders. Enemies of God. And that is what is amazing because if I'm going to bless and entertain and show kindness and compassion and mercy upon the enemies of God, he then tells me in verse 14, follow along here, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Our point here today is point one. What are you called to be? What are we called to be? He tells us in verses 14, 15, and 16 what we are to be. The number one thing that he tells us is in verse 14, he says to be a blessing. We are to be a blessing. We are to exercise God's love, to discharge the duties of compassion. How many of us in our lives and our interactions with the general society are known for our compassion, for our genuineness, for our kindness? For it is God's kindness that leads people to repentance. We're not supposed to just show this love and this compassion to fellow believers, but to non-believers as well. The word here to bless means to both pray for their good and to do good. I'll be honest with you, right, and, and, and I'm, I'm only using a political example because uh, next week we'll be talking about politics or government. I don't know that I've prayed for the good or done good for any president of the United States probably since Ronald Reagan. But God's word is commanding me to do this. 
to pray for their good, to do good, to be a blessing. You can't sit here and quietly hope that God would strike them dead. But yet we all know that we quietly and secretly do that. Lord, if you would just smite the evil people off your earth and leave me and all the good people. They're not gonna know you by your love. (laughs) We must pray for God's kindness upon them. And we must respond in goodness. You see, this is the standard of the Christian attitude. It is the very character that is exhibited in scripture. Look at Matthew 5.44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You realize that blessed are the persecuted for his name's sake, right? That this is a better society. The more that we as Christians take on persecution for the namesake of Christ, the better we become as a society. Because the more dependent we become upon Christ himself. I am not and don't ever want to be dependent upon my government but I do want to bless and honor them with kindness and goodness. He tells me in verse 15 that I need to be empathetic, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. I must show both sympathy and empathy in both the joys and the sorrows of life to both believers and unbelievers. The attitude here is the very opposite of being selfish or self-centered. Every moment in life is not about you or me. It frankly is never about me. It is always about God's glory. The question we have to do when we look in this mirror of life, is that what my life's about? Is it truly all about the glory of him? You see, it's placed in the very thought of Imago Dei, right? This thought of we're all created in the image of God. All humanity is worthy of respect and kindness and compassion. All people should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. All people are created by God in his image for his glory, some for honorable use and some for not so. It's always about God's glory. Even the person who is living in absolute defiance to a holy God is being used by God for his glory to reveal his kindness in a dark world. It is without this darkness in this world that we wouldn't focus our eyes on the light of the world. Everything is for God's glory. And everything requires us to be both joyful and sorrowful with all that is going on. He said in verse 16, to live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the call to humility. 
I cannot be known as a lover of Christ. If I can't be a disciple who reveals the love of God, it is because it is my humility that it's getting in the way. It is my pride that's getting in the way. I am to live in harmony with one another. We live as Americans in this thought that I have rights. I remember one of my daughters came home from elementary school and she said, Dad, I learned something at school today. She says, I have rights. I said, not in this household, you don't, little girl. <laughs> you, this household is run by a fascist dictator, and you will comply. But we are, in fact, to live in harmony. And as we'll learn even next week, there's a reason why the government carries the sword, that double-edged sword, For they are here to condone that which is good and they are here to punish that which is evil. And when they do not comply on that, we are still going to be the people honoring and glorifying God. You see, we are to be humble. To live in harmony means to have harmonious unity. It is neither about fight or flight. It is about harmony. It's about unity that I would respect you, that I can look at something that you think, something you believe, something that you bring about to the society that is complete lunacy to me, but I can look at you and say I totally disagree because God created you and God created me in the image of himself and no matter what you label yourself, no matter how you live your life, I'm going to love you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our calling, to be humble, We look at this in God's word. There's different kinds of harmonious unity. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Aim for comfort with one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace with one another. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Is that what our mirror is reflecting today? That we're living in peace Or are we slowly trying to convince everyone on our social media to think our way? Philippians 2.2 says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That we together as brothers and sisters would have one thing in common and that is that we live each and every day to the glory of the one who made you. It's not about you, it's not about me. Through humility, through the pillar of humility, let that love be what everyone sees. Or Romans 15, five, as we're coming to it, it says, may the God of endurance, the God of encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another, with the world to not be conformed to the world. I don't have to agree with the world, but I must live in harmony, in accord, in alliance with Christ himself. He gives these little warnings, he says do not be haughty, right? Do not aspire after things. To be haughty is to aspire after things. This is the art of divine contentment. This is this aspect of, I'm not gonna be complacent with where God has me, but I must be content. To not desire and seek after things. But in fact, he says, to humble yourself to men of low estate. 
People who are living a simple life, that live in humility. They don't live in the puffed up nature of academia. They don't live in this different world. They may reside there, but they don't live there. I am to gravitate towards the lowly like Christ did with the woman at the well in Samaria. This latter concept where he talks associate with the lowly is to be united in feeling, to be united in interest, to be united in object, and the object is Christ. Let there be no discord or disagreement. The lowly is a reference to the humble, to the lowly, to the downcast, to the timid. To go to that person on the fringe and to love them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no question in our mind how God looks at these things. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. His name is perfect. I dwell in the high and holy place. And where else does he dwell? And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. This idea of lowly and humility, and this idea of contrition versus autrition. Autrition is I'm sorry I got caught. There's no humility in that. Contrition is I'm shattered under the eyes of a holy God. It's what David experienced when he finally got there. In his autrition, he tried to cover up his affair with Bathsheba. He tried to cover up his illegitimate child. He tried to do all these different things that led him to murder. But some months later, he, in Psalm 51, says, a broken and a contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. I have sinned against thee and thee alone because his life is for the glory of God. And when he sins against his fellow mankind, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, he has sinned against the one true God because he has sinned against the creation of God. We can't find ourselves in this point of not paying attention to the simple things in life. When he says this idea, he's saying, and he's gonna amplify it by never be wise in your own sight. Man, this general idea that's expressed here is to be not high-minded, but be humble. You ever have your children say stuff to you that's so profound from the mouths of babes? I remember this old story. I was in high school myself when I first heard this story. And the story went like this. There was a cement mixer truck, huge cement mixer truck full of cement on its way to a construction site. And as it was going down this street, it came under a bridge. And as it went under the bridge, it just wedged underneath the bridge. The bridge was too low. And this thing was so wedged, they couldn't back it out. They tried to pull it out with other vehicles. They tried to get everything out, and they're working, and they got all the engineers from the city out. They're all surrounded. They're looking at it like, wow, I think we're gonna destroy the bridge. We're gonna have to take the whole bridge down to get this truck out. This is crazy. Look at all the damage that this is gonna create and all the things that are caused. And then there's that kid wearing his Sears, you know, and Robux. Uh, you're not old enough to know that, but the... the, the that he's got these, these things in his shoes and he's not even, he doesn't even have matching socks on and he's just sitting there with his bike on the thing, watching everything, his little ball cap a little off to the left and he says to them, he says, well, why, why don't you just let the air out of the tires? <laughs> All the engineers. 
hey, I have an idea. What if we just let the air out of the tires? Be not high-minded, but be humble. You see, Jesus said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And if you receive him, you receive God the Father. This humility, the child that he referenced, as I referenced in Mark 9, right? What does it represent? It represents trust. It represents dependence. It represents a very simple faith that as for me and my household, we will worship the Lord. No matter what day is presented to us, that's still the day that the Lord has made and I will be glad and rejoice in it. It is all about our humble submission to a holy God. He can use my life however it may be. If it benefits him to strike me dead now, then strike me dead now. If it benefits me to go to a far off land, then go off to a far off land. In the weeks to come, when we transition into Jonah, I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, you're going to Nineveh. If God wants you to go to Nineveh, you're going to Nineveh. You can make every effort you can to go to Tarshish the opposite way, but brothers and sisters, you're going to Nineveh. Humble yourself, submit before a holy God, and say, Lord, use me to your glory. We are not to be wise in our own sight. Secondly, to do this, we must avoid the traps. Conformity traps versus the non-conformity solutions of the world. Verses 17 to 21. He gives us a conformity trap, and then he gives us a solution. In 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Why? That's a trap. Someone comes and does something horrible to you. Your thought immediately is, oh, I must come up with something very crafty and creative to not ruin my reputation, but to hold myself high before them, but make sure that adequate reparations are done. <laughs> to repay evil for evil. Look at, but he puts that word, that word but. I call that the glorious but, right? There's always buts in scripture. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Look at the community, the, the conformity trap in 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Wait, he cut me off. Therefore, I gotta get up in front of him and slam on my brakes. That's the way that our traffic works here, Lord. But he says, but... Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. This does not mean that you sit over in the corner and secretly said, I'm hoping his car blows up on his way in. <laughs> It'll be the Lord. <laughs> That's not what he's saying to us. But vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, he says this. He wants to make sure that that's not what you're doing is sitting on the side of the road waiting for his car to blow up, right? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Look at the conformity trap in 21. Do not be overcome by evil. Man, we live in a world that is so evil consuming. It's overwhelming. But, he says, overcome evil with good. How do I do this? Point three, where your heart is, your action will follow. 
Where your heart is, your action will follow. I'm gonna summarize Romans 12 for you here in the heart of Romans 12. You remember in Romans 12:1, if you look at it in your, in, your, in your Bible, right, it says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice cannot be accepted by God unless it's in the pursuit of perfect holiness. And that's not compelled by you. That's compelled by the spirit of God. All of you, body, soul, and spirit, right? Sin is not a part of you because the spirit of God dwells in you. 99% of our worship has nothing to do with singing. I would probably go as far as to say 99.9% of our worship of God has nothing to do with singing. It comes from our bodies. It comes from your mouth, it comes from your hands, it comes from your feet, it comes from each and every one of you individually serving a holy God, for God. You're not joining the care team, you're not joining the community team, you're not joining the different things that are out in the lobby, you're serving the holiest of holies. Romans 12, 2. He said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. You must first examine that you are new to the core. You are a new creation, metamorphosed into a renewed mind. And now your renewing mind must walk in spirit and truth, not in the old fleshly way. For Christians... There's an old expression, you have it up here, but it's not in your heart. You got it up here, but it's not in your heart. Let me tell you, it's the opposite. It's in your heart. Where your heart goes, everything else will follow. To have Christ, to have the dwelling Holy Spirit at the core of your being. It's what really you want. Your mind is spending a lifetime trying to transform it and realize it. I don't need to know it here. I need to accept it and move forward here. Romans 12, three through five. Here, he's telling us that for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, right? In other words, like your feet, like your nose, like your hands, like your eyes, we are all different and here to serve in a different way. We all have roles and responsibilities to the glory of him. Romans 12, six through eight, having gifts, right? This different kind of gifting that we have. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you right here, right now, if you don't know where you're supposed to serve, just go see Pastor Mark Ewell out there in the lobby and do the my best fit. Or if you really wanna gamble big and God's leading, then walk over to the care ministry and spin the best fit wheel, right? And it'll tell you a place that you're gonna serve. But go see Pastor Mark and find out your best fit. You ever heard of stuff like it's, it's great that you give to the needy, but you need to do more. Don't let that be me. Let that be the spirit of God compelling you inside. It's not about human wisdom, which sounds like religion. It's all about him. 
But whatever we do, God wants us to be diligent and to delight and cheer for him. Use me how you want to use me. When we got to 9 and 11, when he said, let your love be genuine. But he closes this way in verse 11. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Fervent in spirit. He did not say fervent in your fleshly desires and the stuff you want to do. If I can just get my 401k to here, then I can retire, and then I can dedicate myself to serving the Lord full time. No. He said, be fervent in spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead you where you're supposed to be. Let God lead. And in in 12 through 17, he told us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, etc. right? These verses sometimes get used used and abused by Christians, suggesting that we take a beating and we keep on going. Thomas talked about this last week. You're not here to be the doormat, although and sometimes God is gonna call you to be a doormat. Jesus himself literally and figuratively became a doormat for Judas to wash his feet on the night that he would be betrayed. Sometimes our position is to be a doormat, but it's not your calling to be a doormat. But whatever you do, you do to the glory of him. (coughs) Verses 19 through 21. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You have to trust the truth. You have to trust in this world that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That your honoring and glorifying him does in fact heap coals on an enemy's head. Your anger places you in the wrong direction. Comparison will rob you of your joy. Hate will steal your peace. And evil robs you of all rest. You must pray for their good. You must do for their good. Which in turn, you'll overcome the feelings of evil and the feelings of love and compassion will consume you. Start by praying for those that are evil. Start praying for the enemies in your life. That God would bless them. Oh man, this is a hard prayer. I'm gonna recommend a book at the end of this uh, for you on prayer in a distracting world. Brothers and sisters, learn how to train your mind to put yourself fixed upon praying for good, that God would bless them. Could you imagine praying for a leader of our country? Lord, bless them so much that they are elected for a second term. Even when I say that, I can hear you cringing in your seats. (laughs) Do we pray for comfort or do we pray for God's glory? To be a blessing. As I call the worship team and the prayer team up, remember, chapters one through 11 laid the foundation of God's sovereignty by his mercies. And now Paul has formed the pillar for transformed living, which is humility. In the weeks to come, right, we're gonna tackle, this is what Paul's doing, he's laying this pillar of humility because you can't not have the pillar of humility when you enter into these conversations that are coming, politics and religion. How do I in humility let my forbearing and gentle spirit be made known? How do I let people know that I'm a disciple and a follower of Christ because of my love? I must lean upon the pillar of humility. 
What a difficult tension it poses. Your heart must be changed by the mercies of God, by the grace that has been given, by the compelled standard of God's love. Love alone is what compels the renewing of our mind by the motivation of the glory to be to Christ. This can only be revealed in your heart via the Holy Spirit. Those who know transformed living in their midst of suffering are those who recognize that in this, in this life, our suffering is never as great or as serious as our sin. That's a renewed mind. That's a divine mind. Regardless of the severity or the suffering in our life, it is always less than what we have deserved for our own sins. He said, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. For us to be known as Christians, we are known by our love. But to do that, you must lean on the pillar of humility. That song that we sang, Jesus, about make me more like Jesus, it says in the middle of that song, Jesus counted his status as nothing and the king of kings came to serve. I've got books that I want you to go and get to order on Amazon. C.J. Mahaney's book on humility. Or if there's the world is blocking you from praying the way that we've talked today, A Praying Life in a Distracting World by Paul Miller. Order them, read them. Here's what I would ask you to do. Order them and read them. Come in and sit down with me and let's talk about them. Let's grow together in God's grace. Let's grow and let the world see the love of Christ in our hearts, that he would make us more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's have our Lord take everything. That all of us would be dedicated to all of him, to his glory, to his honor. Brothers and sisters, I know I have spoken way too long today. But it is in humility that we must lean on so that people will know that we are disciples of him by our love. So important for us to grow in this grace. So important for us to grow in this understanding that we would humble ourselves to his glory. I love you guys so much. I will see you next week.